welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. This is episode 228. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Welcome back to the show. Here we are to talk. We're taking a break from deep theological matters to ponder how depressing the religious political landscape is in the country. <laughs> yeah, we do this to cheer ourselves up. Yeah, this is uh, this is to be cheery. By the way, I uh, I like the way my politicians used to be crazy instead of the current incarnation of uh, of craziness, uh, which might be clinically uh, uh, might be clinically uh, insane. But um, I just heard this on the way over here that Linda LBJ Linda Baines Johnson had a amphibious car. All right, and that when people would come visit him on the ranch. He would drive it into the lake and scream, oh, no, the brakes have failed. The brakes have failed just to freak people Lindy out. Lindy Johnson did that? Yeah. How did he get an amphibious car? He was the president of the United States. I know that. I mean. D-Day. I, they had, they've, had, they've been uh, around for Okay, like an amphibious. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, like, I don't, I, mean, I, like, I don't, you don't picture like an amphibious Buick. Like, you picture this, you know, like. I'm sure That's it was, interesting. It was okay. a, I'm sure it was a Cadillac. <laughs> okay. With a longhorn on the on the hood. All right. Yeah. The LBJ, he was he was uh, an interesting character. He used to make his aides come talk to him while he was on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. My kids used to do that when they were bored, when they were young, when they were potty trained. They would have each other come in and be with them. Sure, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the family that, you know, does yeah. that. Yeah, together. I don't know. Yeah. So we have a piece from the... Fake failing New York Times, <laughs> and a local, based from a local author, someone at UPenn. Trump said today at the press conference that NBC is maybe even more fake than CNN. And then somebody asked, I said, "No, I don't take questions from CNN. That's fake news." Who <laughs> wouldn't take a CNN question? Uh, he's 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 a piece of something. Yeah. Anyway. We'll go to John Roberts from Fox, the real network. Oh, my goodness. I, they're so, yeah, I was trying to watch them for a minute the other night. I just couldn't do it. This do is it. by Michelle Margolis, and it appeared on the July 12th edition of the New York Times. When Politicians Determine Your Religious Beliefs is the title. Yeah. And you posted this and wanted to discuss it. So, Bill, discuss. Well, uh, her findings, uh, in short... Uh, kind of an counterintuitive finding that she thinks for a lot of people, your political beliefs actually dictate your religious affiliation as opposed to the other way around. And her research is basically based on the idea of a lot of people. She opens the article saying people think, oh, OK, we got we appointed Kavanaugh for religious reasons. But then she sort of says, what's interesting right, is yeah. that, yeah, it's actually maybe the opposite. Well, I think she particularly was looking at the group of people who, as we know, a lot of folks in adolescence and young adulthood um, kind of lose interest in church attendance. And particularly when they start coming back, often they come back with, you know, after, you know having kids and things, that really the influence, our political attitudes are really influenced in adolescence and young adulthood. So her... Yeah, but, but that time, yeah, the, you, and your religious commitments usually... At least in America, I guess in twenty seven, tend to be you tend to be less religiously concerned on average in in that time. And then yeah. when you, when you get get married, have kids, that's when you tend to I guess 
get the religious bug more. So the idea is that your political formation has taken place. And when you when it comes time for you to choose a faith affiliation, then you gravitate towards people who are like you politically. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know, in nineteen fifty, whether or not you attended church and how often, if you were white, was not at all a reliable predictor on whether or not you're gonna vote for Eisenhower. Yeah. It was just it was a non right. it wasn't a useful piece of data. Now from among whites Church church attendance is one of the number one political predictors. If you go to church like three or more times a, uh, a month, you're overwhelmingly, odds are you're a Republican. Yeah. And part of it, I think, has happened just some of the ideological demographic shifts. I think the change, the weakening of organized labor, which was a solid black for Democrats. I think the Nixon Southern strategy that basically the Republican Party became the old Confederacy. Um, I think also the abortion issue with Roman Catholics. Um, Roman Catholics as a group prior to the abortion debates were a majority Democrat, um, and that that's changed. So I think some some there's some, been some key social issues. I, I think you know we didn't read I didn't read the study in depth, but I do think that probably this doesn't count for those of us who kind of never left a religious affiliation. Right, right. I mean it, it, that. Yeah, I mean I think that if you are, for instance, there are lots of particularly evangelical communities, right? Lots of teenagers who are very interested in religion and go to youth groups and stuff, as opposed to people that have these lower interests that right. she's, she's these average lower interests in religion. Kind of there was a really interesting thing too, that, that they showed a people, a political flyer and a political flyer, flyer, Republicans, Democrats, and the political partisan flyer made the, the Republicans, it made them feel closer to God and it made the Democrats feel less transcendent. They were, they were more hostile to religion when they saw right. a partisan flyer, which I would love to know the survey questions for that, but I still, regardless, I find that very interesting. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's interesting as well. I, I, you know, I've been saying this for years. I mean, that I think people who are naturally conservative for whatever reason, gravitate towards conservative churches. I mean, I think it's more, the same thing's true. People who are naturally experiential are, are going to be attracted to more experiential churches. People who maybe are more cerebral or a little more quiet or mystical in their faith will be attracted to different to different traditions. Roger, or no, Jonathan Haidt and his research on this stuff in The Righteous Mind, he, he's, he has these studies where like they show these dot formations and conservatives like them in order and liberals like them a little more chaotic. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's very interesting psychologically. Well, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, I think we've we've quoted Halleck a lot about this, but the idea that what atheists, one thing the atheists and fundamentalists have in common is the, the need for certainty. And so my one of the things that my— Faith is the way to knowledge. Doubt is the way to truth. And certainty is the way to nihilism. Yeah. And it's I from think— from Leslie Newbegin's the first two chapters of his book, Proper Confidence. I was just re- rereading it, and I thought, this is very profound. Well, again, I think a lot of us like to self-identify well, we're moderate. I mean, I think that's probably a fiction. That you, you're a radical. Yeah, well, we would tell, <laughs> I'm a radical moderate. I'm radically moderate. Moderately radical. I don't know. Uh, but uh, do you think do you think Greg will play golf with us again after yeah, yesterday's we played, political? We, we played with our, fr- our friend Greg Strawbridge. One of our favorite conservative friends. One of our favorites. And Yeah, we, he's a good man, good pastor. We played, we played in Phoenixville. Well, well Kimberton, actually. It was, Which is not a place that I would move to. <laughs> oh, it was pretty. Part of it was pretty getting there, but I, we, you know, we're kind of we're trying to find somewhere middle and in the country. But uh, 
Yeah, the conversation was going. The conversation in my golf game was fine as we were talking to Tony. Until Ronald Reagan came up. Ronald Reagan came up, and I started shanking balls. To the left, actually. I I, I never had that in my swing before, but the balls all started going left. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, that uh, anecdotally, I've seen this on cable news, what what Miss Margoli, Professor Margoli, is talking about. Like, you see a you see irreligious non-religious people like Greg Gutfeld or Kate or uh, uh, who's the um, Essie Cup or people like that who are not religious and they'll, they're defenders of tradition and religion on Fox or on Essie uh, Cups on CNN now and then you have people that are like that are religious but they're really sheepish about it. they don't really talk about MSNBC you know like you so you, you it's it just it self sorts out that way. Yeah, I think there. Well, there's always been kind of a cynical manipulation of religious. Yeah, I mean Mussolini did it, Hitler did it. Uh, if it's good enough for Mussolini, it's good enough for me. <laughs> All right, there is a there is a, a beautiful a beautiful cathedral church uh, in um, in the galley. It's uh, supposed to be where the uh, Sermon on the Mount happened, uh, and it uh, initially had a had a stone that because uh, Mussolini approved the money for it being built, but they've 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 chiseled out Mussolini's name. <laughs> yeah, I think that's prudent. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, very, I think it's good. very prudent. That's a good idea. It's a beautiful church, though. But yeah, this is. I mean, this is it's an interesting thing, and I, I've I've read other research like this too that that a lot of uh, particularly millennials are turned off to religion because it's. Con- because it's viewed as conservative, so that the, right. the, the church is be, is been viewed as, and I mean, again, like I said, there's there is some truth to this that you know churches are. I mean, you know, they are becoming more partisan places. Yeah, and I think particularly issues around gay and lesbian; those are issues that really have driven away a lot of millennials. Yeah, the more conservative views. You get them that. back if, with your stance on weed. <laughs> if you have medical marijuana at the church, you so, might get them back. So libertarians, you know, there's, there's a marketing strategy for you out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenny, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, 
Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. So I, I do, you know, so what's what, because we all cannot help but be influenced by these trends. So I think as a person of faith, we've talked about this before. How do you, how do you, promote a self-criticism within yourself in order to say, okay, I can't help but be part of the culture that I'm in. I'm, you know, I'm, no one's immune to the, the currents of, of culture, faith, um, you know, context, things like that. So if I want to be a critically thinking Christian, how do I, how do I at least call in question some of these natural tendencies? Listen to Glenn Beck. <laughs> I, right. I, I'll tell you what. They were playing on the Stern Show. They were replaying a segment he did where they were playing Glenn Beck's like DJ FM DJ days. Oh my gosh! He and Limbaugh. It's amazing to me that those guys ever made it because they were terrible DJs. Terrible. All right. So that would be if we don't want to do that. Give us another. Uh, yeah. Now that's interesting. I mean, I you know, I mean, in general, I think reading things that and taking in information from sources that are not of your tribe is always a good idea. I mean, especially. Now, as as we're so self-selecting, and there's so much confirmation. It's interesting. Studies show that like higher education doesn't help with confirmation bias. It just if it, it actually makes it worse because you get more sources to do it. Like yeah, you yeah. get you have more resources to confirm your biases. I mean, I think those kinds of things are incredibly helpful to yeah. you know to read and think outside your own tribe. Yeah, I, and I I think reading. I mean, trying to understand a little bit better history, both American history, but also you know the history of the faith. Uh, particularly in seeing how the wide variety, the wide variety of folks interacted differently politically. I mean, that there is not this monolithic way of, of thinking. Um, we have a comment coming in from Facebook Live. That's my radio voice. Coming uh, <laughs> That's my Glenn Beck. All right. At one point, he's like, oh, man, to his, to his, his like traffic woman, like, you look so great as usual. I mean, I, why, why can't you just come in one day not looking great? I'm just like, gosh, what an idiot. I can't believe this guy was like, but anyway, Jeffrey Carter, from California, who thank you for doing our voiceover for this podcast, says that he gets the impression that the self-selecting that drove the post-World War II move to the suburbs and subsequent rise of non-denom, parentheses, Baptist and Pentecostal charismatic megachurches, has heavily driven the political alignment of conservative Christians to the Republican Party. This was certainly the experience I lived through growing up. Yeah, and I think not not... All, but many of those leaders of those groups are not theologically sophisticated. Um, their thinking is very really, yeah, they're very, really, Bill. <laughs> that's a very edgy statement. Yeah, right. But so they're very. That means they're very open to influence to whatever they've read recently. You know, I once knew a charismatic pastor who was a really good person, but whatever he read most recently, or whatever at that point there were teaching tapes, whatever the most recent teaching tape he read, he gravitated to. And then suddenly that was in this next He read the teaching tape? Or listened to it. (laughs) I'm imagining him pulling the tape out and like literally up to a light. But so that showed up in the next week's sermon. So I think that group was very vulnerable for, um, that group's very vulnerable to be influenced. And then they're influencing masses of people. And I mean, again, I... uh, you know, periodically people still give me books from that are being promoted to these churches, and I just it's 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 unfortunate. And again, it's not being intellectually snobbish. I mean, there used to be a time when a high school education meant that you were a thoughtful person, and you didn't go to college because you didn't necessarily have the opportunity. And you read, you listened, uh, you you know you improved yourself into deeper things. So it's not a matter of having a college degree or not. 
it's a matter of what kind of critical thinking you do, what kind of honest thinking you do when you read the Bible, uh, being aware of the voices that are in and around you. And I think also one of the things I find is that there tends to be, whether you're liberal or conservative, there tends to be a you know kind of package of ideas. And I think most people who have a good, you know, who are trying to be a faithful Christian and, and are being open to be led biblically and theologically about their ethical and social positions, you're going to find that you're not going to buy the package from either group. And so one of the things I think, one of the things you can begin to do is say, well, wait a minute. Now, I, I, I care about the preferential treatment for the poor, but I'm not comfortable with X, Y, or Z if you're, if you're more liberal. Then the I'm not comfortable with asbestos. <laughs> yeah. uh, Although apparently Trump is. Trump is. That's, yeah, burning uh, asbestos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is unbelievable. But, um, and the same thing with the conservative. For instance, I remember I was part of this conversation came up yesterday. And for the 1980 election, uh, there was the biblical voting report card or something like that. Falwell put out. And some of the questions determined whether or not the candidate was biblical. Did they support the Panama Canal Treaty? Do they a vote for an increase in defense spending. Those two things, I remember those distinctly, were if you voted uh, against those things, you were not a biblical voter. Now, what the Panama Canal Treaty has to do with anything in the revealed biblical faith, I have no idea. Same thing with defense spending. Matter of fact, one can make a very lively Christian argument that— Counting your chariots. uh, Supporting the military-industrial complex and listening to the lies— that told us about the underspending because it's not underspent. We what our navy is better than what another top twenty, the top other top nineteen navies in the world combined are not equal to our navy. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's something uh, it's astounding. Yeah, so I think that's a good example where you would question that from the right, and I think so. I think that's where you begin to say does because everything the Democrats stand for is not Christian in any sense of the word, and the same thing's true. Everything the Republicans stand for is not Christian either. So. I think that's one way you begin individually, you know, trying to trying to think critically. So you know who who is who is a nonpartisan, non-tribal political voice, religiously in America. Who? Joel Osteen. Wow. You never hear that guy talk. <laughs> that's the. Now, um, you know, Rick Warren tries to walk a balance as well, somewhat. Yeah, I don't think I think Joe Osteen just doesn't want to tear anybody he off. Doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about the cross either. I mean, yeah, that's right, the cross. Anything controversial, you know? Like, so no politics, no, no crucif- Jesus, no, no crucifixion. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, but you know, he, he's, yeah, well, it's work. It's, it's work. It works. It works for him. Yeah, so it must be true, right? If it works, it must be true. Yeah, there we go. So the conclusion of this article, I mean, is is not optimistic, but I mean, basically, she's her. What she laments, and I, I think this is this is lamentable. <laughs> that you know, churches used to be places that brought people together across certain yeah. divides. In fact, you know, I've said this before. Glenn Scrivener from England, who's a listener of this podcast, you know, he said that his church is an evangelical Anglican church in England, and it's equal equally mixed between Tories. Labor and and liberal Democrats like there's not he said you know the idea that you'd use the term evangelical in England as anything politically meaningful would be absurd. Well, and I think the same thing. I mean, I you know that was my experience at Media Presbyterian for the number of years. Now I'm not sure that still you know when your denomination takes definitive stands one way or the other, 
it, it's harder for you to stay in the middle. Now, I'm not saying maybe you should or should not. Presbyterian Church USA took a definitive stand on left wing on everything. On everything. So that became increasingly a little difficult for if people. I mean, I think we kept, As if anyone cared. As if people were like, oh, my gosh. They were getting faxes from the Presbyterian D.C. office. Oh, man. Yeah, the only thing problem with that was when I was dealing with the Israeli-Palestinian issue, no one in the United States cared. No one uh, in the United States government, no congressman or executive <laughs> cared. But those things showed up on the front page of the of the Jerusalem Times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Palestinians and Israelis cared deeply. That was part of the problem. But, um, yeah, so I think, you know, the trouble, when you're in a denomination, it becomes increasingly polemic one way or the other. Uh, I mean, for instance, if you're, I don't know how, you know, if you're a feminist and, and believe in equal pay and equal rights, uh, and you're in a church where women are not ordained, you know, you may like everything about it, but that may, you know, that kind of, that, that creates... There's that cognitive some, dissonance some cognitive is what the term is yeah. you're looking for. Yeah, that's the term I'm looking for. So, um, and I made a funny joke about that yesterday, but we will not repeat it online. Yeah, just so. Well, there we go. I mean, here we are, yeah. y- y- Friday, very hopeful... <laughs> we're more, well, I, I guess we're the, more tribal than ever. I guess the hope is this. I mean, I think in terms of my own journey, I grew up in a very conservative political area and uh, was nurtured in very conservative Christian politics. But the very people that taught me the Bible, the Bible that they taught me made me call and question some of the the whole agenda that they had with that. You made you call and question the stance on the Panama Canal. <laughs> yeah, I looked. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember saying something, I go, I go, you know, I, I actually read through all of Leviticus. I just can't find Panama Canal in there. So maybe in a different translation. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless. <laughs>